When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I should say congratulations on the new book that you've just uh, put out about your life and we'll be hearing um, in the latter part of the show from uh, the novelist Simon Astaire who wrote the book with you. Mm. And of course the, uh, it opens with your upbringing in, well let's be fair, the, the proper east end of London in, in Plastow in a, a very, very large immigrant household. Tell us about growing up. Well, it's tough, tight. Um, you're none the wiser. You get on with things. Uh, for me, it was... Uh, was an experience for me, but you, you kind of get on, you know. You're you're not thinking of anything else. You you you're trying to get you get in school. Your, your family, your mum and dad are looking, for, trying to find where the next pound's coming from. Working hard day and night. Um, it's a typical tough upbringing. You know, working class background, really. It is typical in in all of, in all the ways you say, but of course there is something untypical about it in that you are the youngest of twelve, and not mm. just the youngest of twelve. Five years yeah. uh, between you and and the and the mm. eleven child. I think uh, a lot of brothers as well. Yeah. And what was that like being uh, the baby in a, in a house like that? You know, some people say you know the baby's is spoilt or whatever. I would, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, you, you're cut off, not physically cut off, but you're cut off. You know. If zero to the next brother is five years old. That's 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 huge. That's a you know that's that's almost a di- not a different galaxy, but almost you know in in baby ways. You might catch up when you're twenty five, thirty. It means you're growing up in a house full of adults, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, you are. You 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 know you know okay, your, your brother's five years old, but it's uh, the next one above me. So you you've kind of learned, and but also I was very observant. You know, you observe a lot, you see what's happening, you sit back, you reflect. And uh, and I was very good at that with all my all my brothers around me. I was um and it was tough. It was it was tight, there was no space, you know, you can almost kind of you know, light a light a light a match and it kind of spark off. So you know, in some some aspects it was great, and others there was just no time to think or breathe or 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 try to kind of, you know, to relax. Your mum and dad um, worked. Your father Sewell was a, a railway worker. Your mum Wilhelmina, still with us, I think, is a, a four, was worked at Fords. Tell us about your parents and the effect they've had on your life. Well, my dad worked in the uh, London Underground. My mum actually worked in the cable factories. Uh, you know, uh, it's very manual kind of work, and you put in the cables together. So she had a, you know, she worked in Dagenham. So it was. Um, she didn't work for Dagenham Ford, but she worked in Dagenham. Right. So it was it, it was tough. It's hard manual work, and my, you know they swapped I, swapped kind of shifts in the sense that my dad worked in the in the evenings, nighttime, and my mum worked in the morning. So the, you know they can share the times looking after the kids. So 
it was tough, but it was that was the kind of jobs which were around when they first came over, and they had to kind of take those jobs because those jobs needed to be done. And um, obviously, the influx of the Caribbean uh, society coming over, and the Indians, and obviously the Irish as well, they were the jobs available. You talk about um, being kind of isolated, even in this very, very crowded area. What were your interests as a child? How did you deal with that? For me, I as soon as I could get out into the garden or, or on, onto the streets, I was playing sports all over the park, you know, trying to sneak in, you know, uh, I used to sometimes sneak out. My family always had the rule that once it was dark, you had to come in. But sometimes, you know, in wintertime, it was dark at about half past four or five o'clock. So sometimes I used to kind of go home and then sneak out again to play football uh, on the streets and then, you know, come back maybe an hour, an hour and a half later, knocking on the door and whispering, not actually knocking on the door, actually whispering through the... Uh, <laughs> letterbox to my brother to let me in because I didn't want to make my make me mum aware or mum and dad aware I'm, I'm I'm out after dark, so um, that's the kind of things I was up to really. As soon as I was had a chance to get out, I was out and about playing football. Were you always a good footballer, Sol? Do you you realise very quickly that you're athletic and and powerful the way you are? Not really, because I was playing against guys who were older than me, and uh, so I was always trying to kind of better myself, and I always wanted a challenge, always wanted a challenge every single time. Um, so I, you didn't really see your physicality uh, at an early age, and I was I was quite skinny as well uh, growing up, uh, long legs, um, but I, you know, that wasn't there at an early age. If you know what I mean, I wasn't really thinking about that. I was just, just going out and playing and, and enjoying myself and either playing you know, cricket if I could for the school or, or athletics or football, anything sporty. I was kind of out, out and about and just running, well, you, basically. You must have um, got good very quickly, though, because I know you, you had some time at West Ham. Mm. You're signed up by Spurs very quickly and you go to the, 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 the School of Excellence in Lillishaw. Yeah. Mm. Am I right in thinking you grew up not supporting any, any football club? Yeah, I didn't, really, just weird. I, I didn't really support any football club, but what I did support was when I was at Liddershaw, I was all, I was mostly into uh, international football, right. but what I kind of supported was when I was at Liddershaw, I didn't support a team, but I used to support Man United, but not because of Man United, what Man United are now. I used to support Man United because they were the one of the only teams with a lot of black players in them. <laughs> That's the reason why. You know, there was uh, Paul McGrath with Anderson, Paul Lynch just, just kind of uh, signed. They had Paul Parker, they had the Wallace's brothers, uh-huh. they had Reddy Moses. That's the only reason I really supported them. The manager at the time was Ron Ackerson. And I remember having the match magazines or whatever. And um, at that time, they, they won an FA Cup, but they weren't winning. It was Liverpool and all those kind of te- sure. teams. So that's the only reason, not because Man United, because they had quite a lot of black players, black players. playing for them. Okay. And that's the only reason. Sol, you, 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 you joined Spurs. I should make the point as well that you dropped your name, Sol Zero. You changed it to Sol yourself mm. um, because people were not pronouncing it right and all stuff. Well, why did you actually ch- choose to take a different name? Uh, it was... Um it was probably because when I was at Liddyshaw and I, I represented England at you know fifteen sixteen. Uh, I remember one of the tournaments uh, was in um, Finland, and they were pronouncing my name, and it was just saying, "Oh God, I'm saying this, it's all wrong." Uh, so I just said to myself, "You know what? Let's just kind of shorten it, change it," um, and then that's what I, that's where it stems from, really. Uh, so that's where Soul was born, and it's easy. 
Uh, yeah. It's almost like a stage name, really, for me, and it's, it works well for me, so it's good. <laughs> what did your mum say when you changed the name that you've been she given? She never calls me that. <laughs> I bet she doesn't. I bet she doesn't. Yeah. Okay. Only people really know me call me that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, you, you, you're in the Spurs team at 18. I mean, the progress you were making as a footballer is pretty marked, isn't it? Mm. You were in the Spurs team at 18. You're obviously making great progress. But I remember you scoring on your debut against Chelsea, and I also remember then you playing up front in the league, cup ties, a very mm. young player as a striker. Mm. You had that uh, strange Tintin haircut. Tintin, yeah. and uh, uh, But you played in a, in a lot of positions before you settled down at Spurs. Mm. Talk, talk to us about your development as a footballer. Well, it started, well, I, my first position was um, a sweeper. Uh, for Newham, and then I went from New for Newham. I I moved up to centre half, then centre half to centre forward, centre forward to midfield, uh, and that was in a space of say two three years. Then I got over to um, uh, you know, West Ham and say Tottenham, signed up for Tottenham, uh, and I was in midfield for uh, a while. But then I went to Liddershaw and. Um, Stayed in that position for 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 eighteen months, and whilst I was at Lewisham, I I was kind of allowed to play different positions, but stayed in that in that kind of along the midfield pack, and then once I went to full time uh, Tottenham, I it was midfield, but then I got moved back into the centre half role, and then at the same time, uh, Ted Powell, who was the England manager at the time, he kind of recognised that as well, moved me back. Uh, into the into the center back roll, so it all kind of happened at the same time. So, uh, for me, you know, there's a lot of other countries who want players to play in different positions because I think it makes your mind complete and as a as understanding Spain, as a footballer. Holland, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and probably slow down, say. 13, 14 and then kind of pick a position but I think it's healthy for uh, a young player to play different positions yes you have one mind of your pos- where you want to be but it's, it's there's no harm in playing a few you know, a month or a couple of months in a, in a different position or even training in different positions I think it just it's healthy for a youngster because when you're playing say in um, I don't know I used to play a lot of football in the cage uh, at, Chad, at a place called Chad Green, where I used to live. And this would be wall, no, actually fence. Yeah, uh, chain link fence. Yeah, yeah, fence, you know, one gate in, bang, you're in. It's like cage, get on with it. And you played everywhere, you know. So I still enjoyed that. Uh, and you'd play in different positions. And I think that's, that's, that's a great development for young players. In the autobiography that's, that's just come out, the authorised biography, to give it its exact correct uh, title, mm. there's an awful lot of talk about wanting to achieve things and about pushing yourself more. Can you remember as a young player when you were first in the Tottenham team? Mm. Did you, did you what, can you remember what your ambitions were then? Is it just to make a living, or were you always driven to, towards being something more than that? I, I didn't want to make a living. I was still, you know, you, you have to remember some guys from Liddyshaw were kind of the top kind of grade. They were the talk of the country. These guys, these guys are going to be amazing footballers for the next 10, 15 years. But some of the guys dropped out 19, 20. And they had contracts where they had, uh, you know, two-year pr- apprentice and two-year pro already uh, in place. I didn't have any of that from, from, from Tottenham. But, you know, you dropped out of the game, so you never know what's going to happen. You know, so I just said, right, I just want to enjoy it. I want to work hard. I want to improve myself. And whilst I'm doing this, however long I'm going to do this, I want to do it right. 
you know also at the same time I was doing my education and trying to enhance myself in that way living in East London wasn't easy you know education wise you know but I went to Lidishaw and it was totally different to normal normal school but they, you know they you know, obviously they cared a little bit more and they wanted to improve so I actually learned more than my last two years in a normal school in Shropshire than I've learned you know previously I wanted to learn because I didn't have that I, didn't, I wanted to learn and also what was your favourite subject? Uh, I like maths Maths, yeah, yeah, maths, yeah. I like figures, yeah. I like figures, I like figures. And also, looking back now, I wish I chose history because I love history now. I think it's the subject that teaches you to think in the long run. Yeah, you it's, know. it's the people who teach you and uh, they don't inspire me. And when I was growing up, I looked at the teachers and I said, mm, no. And I, uh, and design as well. I like design. I did design communications. I loved and information technology. I loved all that stuff. Um, okay. Obviously, when you're playing football, that always gets sidelined. You play in various positions for Spurs and Gary Mabbott, bless him, retires and um, you get to be the Spurs centre-half. In, in those early, mid-90s seasons, I mean, Spurs, well, let's not make too much of a point about it. They were a pretty average team, you know. You, you were getting into a team that finished mid-table most of the time, but you were obviously doing enough to get into the England team and um, you made your England debut in May of 1996. What do you remember about that? Getting let's into get hungry, squad. yeah. Coming on. Uh, nervous. Also thinking, am I going to get on? Obviously, they've told I'm going to get on before. So. Is that right? Did they tell you you've been Well, yeah, it? you're going to some in, in this game, you're going to get on. Yeah. Okay. It might be five minutes, it might be 10 minutes, it might be half an hour, whatever. But, um, and that's that. That's good. If I was a manager and a young player, I would say that. I wouldn't say, look, don't tell him, and then, right, you get him on. I would say, look, you know, just to prepare in within this 90 minutes plus you're going to get on so it's good so uh, you know I knew that some you know some somewhere in the game I'm going to get on so it was a, it was a magical moment for me you also um, were in the squad for Euro 96 mm. um, and came on briefly in yeah. one of the games mm. um, I think the famous game against Scotland actually yeah, yeah. Um, which is important because it's the first of six successive competitive mm. tournaments you play in mm. for England it's never been done before and uh, I wonder whether it'll ever get done again we, we I'm see. sure someone would do. Yeah, it. sure, but but, yeah. but uh, uh, and obviously Terry Venables was was. What about to get on with Terry Venables because you had him as uh, as club manager and uh, as international manager. Well, at club manager, I didn't really have too much to to do with him other than you know they. they it came and went very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, because they obviously they they knew off me and um, said like he's a fantastic prospect prospect, and you know he gave me my debut against Chelsea, so uh, it was great. It was it was you know Terry Venables, uh, Ray Clements, and Doug Livermore. It was it was a kind of free way thing there so you know and then he obviously you know he, he see me play over the years so he knew what I was about so it was great for him to to a get in the squad and b to you know to experience that to understand that to see what's happening to get absorb it um and that's that's a magic that's a that's a great thing to be able to to kind of you know, being in that kind of pressure cooker, but from outside, it was you know Terry was very good to keep it calm within within. So uh, you know, you got Gascoigne, he would he would be doing his own thing, but he he was probably one of the only guys who can actually you know control Gaza and and get the best out of him. It's funny, isn't it? Because um, you mentioned Paul Gascoigne, who was in the team. Mm. Obviously, was the great player in the team when when you arrived in it. Um, and we all see that his life has taken a you know a very difficult set of turns. Um, and yet you talk about it with great affection. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially um, one of the greatest things about Paul is is is, is genuine. You know, um, oh, my wife is from Newcastle, so uh, that's he's from Newcastle. So they, they they have a great bond. People from that area, they love to stick together and back each other up, and you know, understandable. Um, 
But uh, what the greatest kind of thing about Paul is that I remember when he it was um, Lazio came in and said, right, we, we want you, and it's great. And then the cup final comes and he gets injured, and they say, usually the deal would have been off, but um, they said no, we still want him. So uh, I think it's John Sheridan used to be the uh, uh, used to be the physio at, at the time. Fantastic, fantastic man, fantastic man, John Sheridan. So um, they said, right, we're going to wait for you. You get fit. Obviously, the money dropped. I think he was going to go for about eight and a half, which was a lot of money back then. Yeah. And then even five and a half when the actual deal was a lot of money. And that shows how much Lazio wanted him. Well, because, he was a fantastic yeah, footballer, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, there's, yeah. No, there's no other word for it. Yeah. So uh, over the over the course of the year and a bit, um, he's improving, he's getting better. And obviously there's lots of talk and blah, blah, blah. So he's nearly ready. So Lazio comes over and says, look, we want to see... Um, we want to see Paul in game, so um, organise it, and we all stay for the uh, over the couple of days, and we play a couple of games, so they can actually see him play, see him move, things like that, and the, you know he comes out of it fantastically. So at the end of uh, at the second day, after the second game, you know he's shaking everyone's hands, said, thanks lads, great, and said you know you've done brilliant for me. So yeah, we just said you know we're just doing a job, you know. He speeds, speed, you know, he gets in his car and speeds off and um, comes back in, you know, 10, 15 minutes time. Obviously, he's planned it. And he comes back, he comes back, screeching back, parks up, goes to all the youth team players and said, here's 50 quid, boom, 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 to everybody. And that was, you know, special. That's someone who's, who cares and appreciates what we've what we've done. And that's that's Paul. You know, he's a, he's, um, he's a great man. You know, it's just a shame things kind of... of disintegrated around him when he really needed support. So, as we were hearing, by 1998, you've established yourself as a regular in the uh, England national side, going to an amazing World Cup, really, in France. It's nearby, but it's still foreign. Um, None of us knew what was going to happen. England had a pretty good team. Um, What are your memories of that World Cup in 98, leading up to, of course, that game against Argentina? Just excitement, really. Excitement. I've been on tour before for other, you know, England sides and things like that, you know, age-wise. But... um, just excitement. This is the main event. This is the main event. This is what you. This is what you. You know. You dream of playing in a tournament in a World Cup. This is. You know. I used to watch World Cups and European Cups and. But World Cups, I used to watch all the time. Um, and just you know, fuzzy TV and Argentina and places like that. You know, I, I, that's the kind of memory. I almost want. The, I almost want TV to go back like that for World Cup. Really? To make, well, to make it look. I don't know. I, used to, I think it used to be really good, but it used to be quite fuzzy and. And the commentary not, would have that. Yeah, in the yeah. background. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and you know, I just I, nostalgic. I yeah, of course. Yeah. Things got move. You know, you got you have to move on. TV moves on, and the picture moves on. Everything. You know, moves I on. feel exactly the same way about the 1970 World Cup. The mm. first one was in colour. I wish mm. all World Cups were played in that mm. kind of sunshine. Mm. I also wish Pele was playing them and stuff like that yeah. as well. England, England um, uh, went through their group reasonably happily. It was a two-one defeat against Romania. That I think was a bit of a shock to the system. Mm. But having beaten Colombia, um, we got, got out of the group. And then there's that game against Argentina in Saint Etienne, um, mm. one of the most extraordinary football internationals I've ever seen. And of course, you were central to all of that. Tell mm. us about, the, about that game. You know, there was always that type of uh, rivalry, um, maybe a little bit from uh, from all levels, political level as well, mm-hmm. you know, uh, war level as well. So you know, everyone wasn't talking about that, but I think that's still there. Both teams had pride in themselves. Um, both both teams had really good teams as well. So 
it was all set up to be a, a, a wonderful game, and uh, you know it was. Yes, we were on the wrong side of a of a loss, but uh, the game was just a, a magical game. It had everything, you know. If you wanted to put that f- that particular game into the film, you could. You could. It had absolutely everything: goals, um, sending offs. What about um, the sending off? What did you? You'd have been tw- thirty yards away. What did you see? To be honest, now if that happened now, that wouldn't. You, you wouldn't. You wouldn't get sent off for that. You know, because he did make a meal of it big time. The trouble is, the, the referee was right there, so yeah. you know you can't do anything about it. The other incident, um, which everyone remembers, mm. and which which you were central, the referee was right there as well in the last seconds of normal time. England down to ten mm. men, a corner or a free kick, I can't remember. It comes corner, across, so it's yeah. a corner. Mm. Uh, S. Campbell rises, um, smashes the ball into the net with his head. I've seen it happen mm. before, mm. Um, and you must have scored, thought you'd scored the winner. Yeah, it's. Um, it actually bounced first before it went in uh, into the roof of the net. You run away, presumably. You think you've won the game for England. Yeah, won won the game. Game over. Um, it's it's a cruel kind of world, you know. When it when those kind of things happen, uh, you got to get on with it. And uh, but you know, you go uh, ecstasy, ecstasy, and you you kind of uh, with you know, you, so many feelings are going through your body, and that's it. So we're through. We're into the next round, and then you kind of look around and you see that you know they've kicked off and they're going up to the under, <laughs> other end of the other end of the pitch, and, and it's only. It's only it's the, the, the last ditch tackle by Darren Anderson for a corner. If you don't mind. It'd have been, I mean, that would have been all over. Uh, and then we would be kind of, you know, crying everywhere. But um, so close. Penalties. Um, mm. um, every England international has to, near enough, has to endure standing in that centre circle on the mm. halfway line. Would you have volunteered for a penalty? No. Get around to you. No. no? Why's no. that? Um, hopefully, you know, you don't, doesn't need to come round to you. The guys are brave who go up there. Anyone who goes up to take a penalty are, are extremely brave in a football sense. Yeah. Um, especially in a massive game like that. You know, you've got to take your hats off to the guys who, who go up and take a penalty, for sure. Just watching you play as I did for hundreds of times, I had no, no problem with you taking a penalty. You're if a I had good to take strike one, for the ball, yeah, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, if just... I had to take one, if it comes round to me, so it's your turn, I'd have to take one. OK. Yeah. It never came to that, and uh, England go out 98 in France, France go on to win the World Cup. Um, with a lot of players that you, of course, go on to play with very, very soon. We'll talk about mm. that in a minute. In the meanwhile, Spurs uh, carry on their... Uh, how can I put this... They were an average team during the time you were there, made better by your presence. Let's be honest about mm. that. As you became well, a, a great, a great, great set defender. I think a lot of people don't all try to forget. You know, as a young player, there's at least a couple of seasons that I've literally kept tightening them up as a young player, and you know, people don't want to remember that um, as a young player running around at the back line you know working like you, you got know, plenty of practice yeah yeah it got my practice up yeah for sure got my practice on covering people all day long um, as a youngster but you know a couple of seasons you know there's one season I didn't miss a, miss a game and another one I'll probably just miss one you know and I think people hopefully some, some Spurs fans on that level, uh, you know, a little bit of respect. And as a young player, because a lot of people were injured or or not bothered, and I was turning up every week. Um, and hopefully, there's a little respect there. So, so we'll, we'll come on and talk about this thing about the respect of Spurs fans a little later in the show when we talk about your move yeah, and all sure. that. Because I think I think everybody needs to take a step back first and mm. then a step forward mm. um, to, to meet each other, including myself. Let's be truthful mm. about it. Um, there does come a moment of joy, though. Um, of course, by the late 90s, uh, George Graham has arrived at Spurs. That's a whole other story. Mm. Um, you're the captain of the team, obviously. And 
ah, you know, a great joyous day at Wembley where they get to the League Cup final against Martin O'Neill's very good Leicester City yeah, side. Yeah, they, they were strong. Absolutely. They were very, very strong. Tell me your, uh, and again, um, nothing ever happens for you the easy way, Sol. Tough but, game. Um, and down to 10 men, Justin Edinburgh got himself yeah. sent off. I always thank him for that when we speak. Yeah. Um, it's a tough game. Yeah. Tough game because they were, you know, they're tough, you know, tough nut to crack. And there's some really good players, workmanlike kind of team, a little bit of skill here and there, but they were they were tough. And when we went down to ten men so early on in the in the whole game, we were just saying to ourselves, you know, after an hour, yeah, how are we gonna how are we gonna get through this? Because I honestly think that if if we didn't score and it went to extra time, I think they, I think they would have won the game. Yeah, that's that's fair. But we all know what happens. Stefan Everson mm. breaks through. He beats yeah. his man. He has the shot. It comes back off Casey Keller and Alan Nielsen, Nielsen. who I don't think scored in the rest of his first career, <laughs> dives forward, scores the goal. There's a lovely picture of you in the book lifting the, the league cup. Um, mm. You're a guy who keeps a, often a very impassive expression on his face. You, I don't think what you're. Then? No, <laughs> no. There's a grin uh, that it threatens to split your face in half and. Uh, uh, both a brilliant moment for you and mm. when the social history of the game gets written I think you're the first uh, black captain to lift a, a major trophy at Wembley yes I am um, you know the first thing is I was you know very privileged to be captain at the time for, for Tottenham and living in the cup but yeah uh, on, a, on a personal note it was yeah I actually didn't really know and it, someone else told me um, you know the first black captain to lift a, any kind of major trophy at, at Wembley Um and that's probably going to stay because obviously the old Wembley changed and it's got knocked down. So, you know, it's nice to be the first and now other black captains have, have, have followed. So it's great. But it's nice to be the first and um, break the mould. But it was good. It was great. I, I enjoyed every every moment of it. And I was, I was happy that, you know, Tottenham, you know, maybe captain. Uh, Jerry Francis was the first one. So... I took it serious. I took it serious, and I, it was a great honour. So um, we talked about your captaincy of Spurs, the brilliant contribution you made to that club over a period of years and years, when the club itself was often in, in the sort of doldrums. In the summer of 2001, after a year of speculation about your contract running down, you're clearly the best defender around, and... Let's be fair, public pronouncements that you were going to stay and uh, this and that, you eventually do get transferred, not as I fondly imagine to Barcelona or one of those kind of clubs, mm. um, but to Tottenham City rivals. Um, in fact, they're about three miles apart, the two clubs, aren't they? Arsenal. With the exception of Mo Johnson, and that's in another league, I can't think of a, a transfer that has left such a lasting um, scar across people and across um, the two clubs. But let me ask you, let's get your side of the story. Why did you decide to leave Spurs and then why did you decide to join Arsenal? Well, by then, uh, I can't uh, count how many managers I've had before I was 25. Um, there just wasn't any stability there. So that was a kind of alarming for me and um, I just felt that the progression of, of the team wasn't going in in the direction I wanted it to go, uh, where it should should have been going. Uh, I, was, I was a very ambitious guy, young lad, um, and and all I was thinking is is I want I want to win. Um, I want to move move up. I don't want to finish my career without winning anything. Really, um, I think most footballers, if they can, would like to win at least one thing and see if they can go on from there and keep on winning and, and being successful and or, or qualifying for Champions League or, 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 you know, 
European uh, football or whatever every year and then have an enjoyment of challenging games but coming out winning games and um, and being remembered in, in a fantastic side and that wasn't that wasn't happening and, and a lot of the structure yes Tottenham is a, is a big club a, a massive club um, but a lot of the structure which should be there wasn't there when I was around yes had the club they had everything they had all the, but the structure in the actual football wasn't there and it was always maybe not pushing the boat out if you needed to uh, to buy a certain certain player or maybe the wage or whatever the, the mentality you know obviously now you know Bell went you know just about 100 million came in they bought players they had to you know almost break their their way structure to attract players when I was around that wasn't around they weren't really you know busting busting the gut yes they paid money but some guys you know you might have missed out because of, of the wage wise um, and they had the structure and that was it and for me growing up as a as a as a youngster through through the ranks of uh, Tottenham you know I kind of you know understood that Spurs you know in the 60s and all that were very attacking attacking side and wanted to win and that's me I wanted to win and the the youth team that's what I was I was told you know how I played the teams I was with in the youth team we won a lot and it was all about winning it's all about playing the football and the football's fantastic but it's all about winners Uh, and I had that in the youth team and it was was very successful so I wanted to carry that on Um, and that's me okay I hear all that and then come that summer, um, mm. you've run your contract down or your contract's been allowed to be run down by Spurs, whichever way you want to look mm. at it. I presume you had the choice of a, a whole lot of brilliant football clubs to go to. I, yeah, there was Barcelona at the end. There was, um, I think Munich, uh, you know, rang in like maybe three months before, five, four months before my contract ran out. There was Inter Milan. Uh, Liverpool was interested, but the manager didn't turn up. You know, that, that's about it. So, but when I look at it, say Inter Milan, Inter Milan, yeah, Ronaldo was there and, and a few other players were there, but then he left and it was kind of, you know, the, the main team was AC Milan and Juventus. I think if AC Milan came in, I might have seriously looked at it. You know, Inter Milan was a great club. But they, you know, Marathi was a, was a, was a was a fantastic guy there. But it wasn't. I just I went to the I actually went to the training ground and uh, I just said, well, you know, all the, all the money they spent on people, there wasn't there wasn't you know, almost structured. It's a little bit like uh, Spurs uh, uh, Inter Milan with you know, it, it weren't really kind of focused on 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 winning. You know, it wasn't set up to win. Yes, it was set up to play football, but it wasn't set up completely for to the core to actually win. Um, and that's that's the that's the main thing. Barcelona came in at the end and they were talking all day long, very kind of, um, you know, open and things like that. And it was all day long. There wasn't really big meetings with them. There was kind of tentative kind of talking and everyone, well, is he coming or whatever. But then at the same time, Real Madrid were the ones who were winning everything you know um and then you know obviously spurs we came to a contract a four-year contract there's a one-year break clause i said look these are the figures which i've been offered i want to be paid that and then there's a four-year contract you know i'll give you another year under this to achieve the kind yeah, of yeah it give you a time to to buy players to show me that you, you really mean business and they didn't take that how long had you had arsenal been interested in you Sol? not too sure maybe you know looking around probably I don't know maybe properly talking I don't know maybe six months I don't know who knows you signed for Arsenal was that picture of you and uh, Arsene Wenger shaking hands could you have imagined this storm that broke over that transfer and the ongoing ramifications of it 
No. No. Did it even occur to you that it was going to be a problem? It occurred to me that it was going to be a, a problem, but not on that level. Not on that level. Um, and I have to say, I, you know, if there's any warmth for any Spurs fans towards me, which has probably been eradicated, but if there's any of them out there, you know, I'm not going to apologise for the move, but I will apologise for the hurt I've given people over the years. But the move, I just... I I looked at it. I looked at the paper. I looked at the I looked at the whole setup. And I looked at the players. I looked where the club was going to go. It was very hard for me to kind of say quality players. They had one of the best teams in the world. You use the word apologise, but you shouldn't really. In some, in some ways, you're, no apologise. You're a professional. You're yeah, a professional, professional footballer. Yeah, yeah. You want to do what you want to do. Um, I think no, I understand. It's sensitive but, enough that it has hurt people. But I think I think footballers yeah. uh, they just don't understand that there's been sports of the clubs a different thing. Mm. I'm 25 right. years old. I'm yeah. a young guy. I'm you know I want to win. Listen, if I was 39 and 40, and I was doing the move and had a family and things like that, I may be thinking differently. Tell us about the immediate aftermath uh, of of the transfer, the things that happened to you, and that first game back at White Hart Lane. I didn't really feel it too much until I, you know, was the week before the game, the first game at White Hart Lane. So, um, you know, running out, the, there's a few lads at Arsenal who were uh, joking and, and almost trying to kind of. Um, make light of it uh, a bit of banter but there was a serious kind of thing behind it I don't think even they knew what kind of game they was going to go into uh, I, I don't think they've ever been in the game since then on that level so it was the full backlash um, waiting for me so you know on the coach going up uh, I knew you know it, it was a big game for me and it was a, bi- it was a big game in, in, in a lot of senses Um a lot of, there's a lot riding on it not only points but there's a lot more there's a lot more it says there's uh so i knew i was going to be in a game so i had to prepare myself throughout the week um just quietly um you know taking my time and building and almost preparing to kind of almost go into battle uh, with a lot of things with the crowd with the, with the players i used to play with six months before um so there's a lot and and if you speak to anybody, it's very hard to play against your old team. It doesn't matter is that what. Right? Yeah, it really is. It really is. It, you know, I used to find it quite hard playing against Tottenham when I was at Liddershaw. You know, I played them a couple of times. It was hard work. You know, it was just because there was a connection there. So, um, so leading up to get obviously, you know, we we're, were going on the coach, and then the whole. It was just like a siege of of, of people. You know, bottles, bricks. You know. Uh, seeing my uh, effigy of me being burned or hanged and things like that, and, and that's that's scary. That's scary, and it's almost always saying welcome to hell. You know, I, I was in the stadium for the game. Um, I can't rem- recall an atmosphere like you no. Know, you just mentioned welcome to hell. I, I haven't watched football in Turkey, but I can't remember it on British ground. But obviously, there was an awful lot of strange stuff going on there. You were abused. You got dogs abused on that day, yeah. and latterly, after you got, and other times at White Hart Lane, I mean, it's, it's mm. gone on and on. Mm. But you saw your brother in the crowd as a Spurs fan. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a Spurs fan. Tony. Which one, Tony? Tony, yeah. You actually saw him from on the yeah, pitch in the middle of the. Was, it was, he was part was, of the baying mob. Was, was it he? was it? It was incredible. Um, I think it was a corner, uh, and uh, a corner four for for Arsenal, and um, he could have been anywhere in the crowd, but he was behind the goal, maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 kind of uh, uh, seats up, and I've, I've seen him, I've just clocked him, I've clocked him through the, through the net, 
and um, so I'm saying to myself, you know, I, I said to, I made sure, you know, with my, all my brothers, I said, no, no, yeah, why do you want to come to the game? No, there's going to be absolute vile things said about me. Don't, don't go. And obviously he's been going before that game. So that's the kind of thing which, you know, for one reason or another, you know, fortuitously or whatever it was meant to be, I, I've seen him. I've seen him and he could have been anywhere he could have been you know Rosette or whatever yeah, course, yeah. and I would have done the wiser but for some reason that day I was I was almost meant to see him how did you feel? Um, just almost like a like a you know that everything's been sucked out of me you know because he's been for me I couldn't understand why he was still going to Tottenham whilst people were violating my name or who I am and, and it, was that not kind of connecting with him? That I found that really strange. Like, if you, you know, you, you can't stop these guys or people or kids saying all sorts of things about me and you are my blood brother and you're still going to the games and not feeling nothing about it. And that was strange for me to kind of uh, take. I know it's affected your relationship with them. Have you made it up? In, in parts, yeah, in parts. I, I, you know, in my book, I've said I've forgiven all my my brothers and, and things like that. You know, I've 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 said uh, I've honoured you and I res- and I respect you because the, the the situation they were in and the situation where they're put in and how they grew up in in life. And you know, I'm I'm totally you know I've, I forgive them in that way because no one's perfect. No one's perfect. Actually, on the field with Arsenal, it's a story of almost continuous success. They had a great team, and you added to their great team. They won the double in your first season there. Yeah. Um, I had to win. It was uh, it was a lot of pressure. I think that people don't realise there was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of people um, uh, didn't want to see me uh, succeed. And I, you know, I can understand that, you know. Especially with uh, with the Spurs fans or anyone connected with Spurs, they praying that you know it didn't work out for me or I had a really bad season or we won nothing and um, I had to win. Did you feel vindicated? Yes, because it's visible. It's visible. Uh, winning the double uh, under extreme pressure, might I add? I mean, it was you know wasn't a walk in the park. In a way. I kind of used that to my advantage. I it kind of propelled me. It refocused me big time. You know, sharpened my mind and my focus on everything from from training and how I did this or how I did that or whatever. Yes, I still had a little bit of fun, but it really refocused me big time because I knew you know I couldn't muck around. I I I didn't muck around anyway. You know, I was a serious player, but that really took me onto another level, which I had to perform. And in the beginning, it was it was slow because I was injured. I was injured, and um, you know, I had it like three, four months off. So uh, I was kind of you know um, having no, basically having a good time, really, and uh, seeing what 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 turns out uh, football wise, club wise. So um, so I had to do a lot of training. Um, get over the injury as well. So it was a, it was a kind of a slow start for me, 
uh, and people well documented it. Oh yeah, he's always oh, this, he's that. It's not, it's not happening. It's, you know, God. <laughs> yeah, we've we've got all we've got new players at Tottenham, and um, you know, good riddance. So he's forgotten. I, I I remember seeing all these you know, new defenders all coming in and said, yeah, everyone does it. Oh yeah, he's 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 the best player, and oh thank God he's there, and you know, he's gonna fill his fill Sol Campbell's boots all day long, and um, I just see all those kind of things, and I, I say, well yeah, good. I'd like I'd like Spurs to do really well. Spurs were very lucky in that um, you played very you, you briefly overlapped in the first team, but um, whatever whatever gods look after football clubs, you went that was terrible. But uh, Ledley King grew up in your in, in your spot, and and uh, you know he was a fantastic player as well. So some yeah. of the pain was taken out by that. Yeah. Arsenal's team at that time, you know, Wenger had put together an extraordinary mixture of mm. really strong physical players, yourself and Patrick Vieira and Manu Petit and others they really mm. knew how to play to deal with but they played the great football that Arsenal still play but they were a big tough team as well they were a tough team um, and then the right balance they had men in the side and also he had the mix you know back end he had uh, Davosuka you know for a couple of years um, I think he should actually start going back to that I think he should sometimes get a 30 year old who's you know been fantastic playing for a couple of years but you know he can show you he you know he's got just a little bit left to show and prove that he can still do it I think he should go back to that kind of balance I really do and and forget about you know uh, buying someone and and then seeing grooming what, them through and well no no buying so, but also buying someone and, and and seeing value in five years time to maybe sell him on or, or whatever I think there's they should forget that kind of process yes there's there's time to, to, to groom players and to buy players in. But sometimes you might get a 32-year-old, 33-year-old's got a couple of years left. You know, in that the, ain't the Arsenal way. But it used to be. Yeah, but it ain't now. But you, yeah. uh, you know, we'll talk about Arsenal currently. We know, just, I just think that um, they play beautiful football. No one could deny that. Mm. But the team is, they're also physically the same and all the rest of it. And I just thought that the team that you played in, um, and I'm not, saying, levels. I'm not saying this through gritted teeth, I'm saying it because it's true mm. now, and it's all passed into history as well. And the facts are there. It was just an extraordinary balance of footballing skill mm. and big, strong blokes by mm. Munich of developing something like it right yeah, now as we yeah, speak. Yeah. Um, the rest of your time at Arsenal, um, you know, the, the Invincibles uh, through the 2003-2004 season, we'll come on to the Champions League as well. To the outsider, it looks like Sol Campbell has achieved what he wants to do. He's a great defender. He could argue, you do argue, there was a while there when you're the best defender in the world. Mm -hmm. You're playing in a brilliant football team, um, a team that goes unbeaten through the whole season. Um, but that's all on the surface for you because mm. I now know from the book that you've uh, written uh, with Simon Astaire, who we'll hear from later on the show, yeah. behind all of that was a great deal of heartache for you. This is not a, this is not the happy time that I had imagined necessarily for you. Your personal life is having issues, and your father dies. Sewell dies. Mm. Tell, tell us about the effect that was having on you and the football. I think the football gave me the um, the energy to go on. It gave me a, a release uh, to play football because. Um, there were so, much, so many problems behind the scenes. Obviously, I didn't really have, you know, respect to my father, but obviously I didn't have the amazing kind of um, relationship uh, uh, with him because that's how he was. And that's how a lot of Caribbean men were um, in and around that kind of time, strong, um, almost like an iron fist, and, and this is my house. It's, this is my house. And uh, you had to you had to go with it. So, um, but then, he, you know, on... on 
on that particular season of the Invincibles uh, season, um, yeah, halfway through he he, he dies. Uh, you know, in around well, almost on my birthday, really, right. and that was almost a double whammy for me. So, um, and one of the main things I, I I cherish, and I'm I'm so happy I I did it was I I said to him I I loved him before, and I was it's almost releasing that kind of hurt which I had with him, and saying you know what you're not going to say it but I'm going to say it well, regardless of what's happened between between us I'm going to say I love you and that's it and that's for me I'm so glad I've, I Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey they can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Said that. Just, just to rewind in the book, uh, you, you um, growing up in this huge family, um, and you're, you're you're very positive about your mum's contribution. Mm. She makes a home perhaps better than than you, you might make. In these, mm. it's not material. It's it's about love and all mm. the rest of it. But your dad, it seems to me that you sought some approval from him. You wanted him to say, "Soul, uh, I love you, and you're a great football, and all those things," but he never did. Yeah, I don't think he could articulate that. You know, he wasn't he wasn't wired that way um, from a from just being you know coming from Jamaica and things like that. I think a lot of you know dads from uh, from that background was was like that, and a lot of dads in and around the area around the world were like that as well, probably. But he was you know he was a strong man, proud man, um, hardworking man, but they just didn't have that time for the love because also. You know how many siblings I you know had. It's, it's very hard to spread uh, your love to so many kids, and uh, so many things are happening behind the scenes. And you, you know you're, you're you're trying to work out where the, where the next bit of money is to to pay to pay the mortgage or pay the food or things like that. You know it's difficult. It's difficult, and then you prioritize. You just get to this get to the level that you need to kind of concentrate on one thing. And obviously the love side was. Was never there, but I understood that, and I had to, you know, I had to get on. And uh, um, but at least I had the love for my for for my mother, and and she was, you know, she's she's a remarkable woman. Those of us who watch football, love football, can see only sometimes what's happening on the pitch. 
did what was going on in your private life there and we're going to talk more about it in the run mm. to the Champions League final obviously two mm. years later the death of your father did that take away uh, I mean it seems weird because the, that, that Arsenal team the Invincibles it was such an important thing did it take away some of the, the, the gloss from that for you? Do you know what I've so kind of um, got you know almost numb to it with, with my father that I just got on just got on with football um, as long as football was there it was it was a, a, a great release for me um, as long as I was playing well I was fit maybe sometimes if you're not playing well at least you're fit I mean, if you're not fit and you're not playing well for someone who's almost a perfectionist like me you know it starts doing you know I start struggling you know um, and I just got used to just getting on with things uh, yes, it affected me, and I was glad that I took time to mourn him. You know, finding out things about him when you're sitting there—it's like a—they a, a, call it nine nights or whatever, or seven nights. It's a kind of thing when you, you when you go back and everybody comes in and they um, uh, talk about your father and or, uh, everything about you, and you see people you've never seen before. And it was good for me to actually sit down at home with my mum and, and family and and absorb that in take that in take the take the kind of um listen to conversations have people talk to me uh it was a very special time and an intimate time for me to kind of sit down and i'm so glad i actually took i took about about you know five days off four to five five days off to kind of absorb that take that in some people take it a different way some people just go back to work and forget about it um i'm glad i did that I really am. Um, we talked about Arsenal's Invincibles. I mean, uh, incidentally, of course, the Invincible run uh, came to uh, to an end when uh, Wayne Rooney threw himself over your leg at Old Trafford. It was a dive. It's a dive. If I left my leg there completely, then, you know, I totally understand it. It's a, it's a pen. But it was almost like a bat- matador. I actually, you know, knew what he was trying to do. And I moved my leg away from the actual fall. Uh, a little bit like a matador with a ball when you kind of move mm-hmm. them. The cape thing, cape, yeah, the red cape, and uh, you know, and you know, con the referee, and it's uh, uh, a pen. Listen, game over. Diving is a big thing in the game now. Mm. Um, have you ever spoken to Wayne Rooney about that incident? No, I didn't shake his hand after the game. I didn't shake his hand in the game, but you know, he's done well for for Man United anyway. So, yeah. All right. The Arsenal career continues, and after a less successful season after the Invincibles, I mean, as inevitably, the you know, teams are always more competitive and all the rest of it. 2005-2006, um, if you left Spurs to go to Arsenal to win things, you are on a journey, to use the, the modern parlance, that takes you to the, the, the very pinnacle of professional club football. I mean, the Champions League has replaced mm. the European Cup in a way that I could never have envisaged, and it really is um, an incredibly important and high-quality tournament. Mm. And that Arsenal team came within a hair's breadth of being the champions of Europe. What do you remember about the run, that season, and eventually the final? Well, the run was interesting, you know, because I've had, you know, at, at the same time, I had a lot of problems as well. Um, you know, with the West Ham situation where I left the ground and things like that, that kind of hindered me a little bit. And also, I wasn't really fit. Um, I had, uh, like, an ankle kind of problem, not really working out for me. It was difficult this season, um, losing my place from England, losing my place at Arsenal. It was uh, a lot of stuff was, was, was going on, a lot of pressures from all sorts of uh, angles. And... Um, it wasn't, you know, I played in and out of, of Champions League, but I only really got back into the side because of an injury. 
you know, Senderos was injured um, at the time. With all due respect to Philip Senderos, I'm, I'm just shaking my head. Slightly, yeah, at, the, yeah. at the time, it was Senderos and uh, and Cole, and, yeah. and and that was that was Arsenal. Arsenal's, you know, he, he probably he, he'll probably say no, but he was kind of thinking, oh, this is the future, or could be the future. So I had to kind of sit back and obviously getting frustrated, you know. What do I do? Everything's kind of almost folded apart. My, my Arsenal career is kind of not happening. And then Champions League and they're going further and having great results here and there. And I'm sitting on the sidelines thinking, you know, where am I going to go with my with my career? So it only comes comes about because I play a few games uh, and Sendros gets injured. And that's how I played the, semi, the actual um, semi-final, the away leg, which was... Uh, you know, a tight game against the Villarreal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and we uh, get a penalty against us, and thank God, you know, Jans um, saves the penalty, and then I, you know, get a block on to kind of get it off for for a corner because no one else was there. He could have easily tapped it in, and you get to the final, which is a what all of us wanted. Um, Paris. Yeah, in Paris, and still then. It was touch and go if I was going to play the final because it's only, uh, it's only because, you know, Sandro had a had a long injury uh, that I still believe that's the only reason I played that season, um, and he came back obviously maybe the the week before the final and you know obviously he was with uh, with Arsenal he just couldn't play him in one week and you know back from fitness and playing in Champions League final he, he always says no that wasn't the case I was always going to play you but I really don't think so. This was a, a tremendous opportunity for Arsenal. They had a brilliant team. The Barcelona team was the last gasp of the old Barcelona before the yeah. uh, the uh, Iniestas and Xavi's mm. broke mm. into the team. It was a beatable Barcelona yeah. team, with all due respect to them. Yeah. Tell me about the actual game. No, they had some some fantastic players. You know, Gulli, uh, Eto was up front. Van Bommel was playing. Yeah, Ronaldinho was the team. So they had a really good side uh, going forward. So we were, you know, aware of all their kind of pluses and 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 definitely aware of their minuses. So it was a tough game, and it made it got even tougher. Obviously, with uh, with Jans again sent off so early on. So we're down to ten men, and it's a uh, Barcelona ten men final. Mm. This is going to be hard. Tell us about your goal. Magical. It's just a dream. Free kick, Henri. Free kick, Henri. Um, No one was kind of picking me up. Why would they do that? It's just Barcelona, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah, they probably think, oh, no, forget so. He's not going to header it. He's not, you know, he's not been playing this season. He's not going to do anything. But, you know. They didn't really have anybody in that team tall enough to mark you. Marquez and Puyol are just not that kind of players, are they? Well, they're still not that type of team anyway. No, they don't. Um... And uh, it was sweetly met by me and just the right angle. I think even if they had someone on the goalpost, they'd never get in it. Uh, and 1-0, it's just, wow. You know, this is you know, this is what it's all about and uh, the pinnacle of, of domestic football. Even with 10 men, I'm going to put something to you. Mm. The Arsenal team of 2002-2003, around that time, would have held on to that goal because they had the the Vieiras, the, mm. uh, the the Manuel Petis, mm. weren't quite set up for the uh, the siege that then came. Mm. And we got a long way into the game, and it was nearly 15 minutes before the end. Mm. But the Arsenal team wasn't quite the power it had been actually, and certainly mm. wasn't as defensively powerful. Yeah. Um, you know. We had young, we had Carlo was is young, and Abue was young, Amunia was in goal, huge yeah. game for him in goal. 
Uh, I just think it was a bit too much for us. We did miss some really good chances to kill the game off. Specifically Thierry Henry of all people. Well, there was there was not only him, there was uh, Alex Lab, there was uh, Lundberg. Um, you know, it wasn't just, you know, and picking the wrong pass when there were two, we were like uh, two in one situation and just not picking the right pass. We all were, could have done a little bit better. We just needed that little bit of rubber to green and it didn't happen. I think one more, one goal goes in, the game is finished. But, you know, I still dream about, you know, winning it. And, um, well, that's not going to happen now anyway. No, and that was the last game for Arsenal, at least so mm. we thought. We'll come on to that. Let's return to your England career. 73 caps for England. Mm. Three of them, I think, as captain. Yeah. Um, and uh, you've already voiced your views about that mm. in many, many other places. But the the record of going uh, qualifying for and playing in six successive mm. tournaments, what are your memories now of, of your time as an England player? And, and what are the, 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 other than that Argentina game we already discussed, what are the games that you, you most stick out in your mind? I mean, definitely the first game for my first World Cup against Tunisia in in France in Marseille. You know, you're always going to remember your first World Cup game. Um, but this is great pride, great pride in playing for my country. I've played nearly every. I've, I've come through the ranks. I've come through the ranks. Every think, level. You know, yeah, yeah. There's a, only a few guys have, you know, have gone all the way. There's, I think, there's Stevie G. There's Michael Owen, who went from Lillyshaw. You know, these guys went all the way. I don't know about Stevie G was there. Sorry. Uh, I think Michael Carragher's done it as well. I think he was at Lillyshaw. But there's a few guys who've gone all the way, and I'm one of those guys. And uh, I've, I finally enjoyed playing for my country, and a great pride and joy, and, and. Um, any player who who likes who loves their country, uh, and you know, <laughs> enjoys playing for their country, and and I, I'm one of those. Let's talk some more about about the England career you enjoyed that ended, as I say, with them in the mid 70s of caps. With that, actually, ended in the Wally with the Brolly game at Wembley against Croatia. In 2004, England went to the Euros with a very good team in Portugal, and again, we come back to. Uh, you didn't score a lot of goals, but I can almost remember the ones that you you that weren't given. I mean, mm. again, that game against Portugal, another one of the Titanic games in it in, yeah. the, in English football history, minus of the circumstances. Well, ten minutes to go, really. Ten minutes to go, one nil up, and uh, you know, they score, and it all changes. You know, ten minutes for kind of going in, into the next round, into the into the semi-finals, <laughs> semi-finals. Um, also goes into extra time, things like that. Uh, tough game. It was a you know all the Portuguese of for their team, and it's hard work. It's it's uh, it's a fantastic game, and then we get the opportunity to, uh, to score a goal, and um, you know sometimes you just need that little bit of rubber green. And I've come up. It's popped up from a off the bar. I've looked at it and said you know this is it scored a goal hoping and praying that it's, it, it stands and then you turn around and, and that's it blow the whistle uh, apparently John Terry was uh, holding down the uh, the the uh, goalkeeper and you just say to yourself you know come on you just what is going to kind of turn around and I'm, I'm still to this day if it was the other way around it's blow the whistle centre circle game over in a few minutes yeah um, I really do you know 40,000 or 45,000 screaming Portuguese if it was the other way around it's a goal 
it's a shame because that, you know you did score for England in a competitive match mm. against Sweden, but the two yeah. the two that were disallowed against mm. Argentina and Portugal, unfortunately, are what we're remembering. Mm. Um, but I don't think uh, your, your, your England career could have been um, much better, uh, except for a piece of luck, because uh, yeah. those are both a piece of bad luck. The remainder of your professional career at club level, there's a return to Arsenal for 11-12 games to help them out, which is great. Yeah, we nearly, a... won the, nearly won the premiership. You know, it was Birmingham. We, <laughs> God, if we'd have won the games, we'd have been top. I mean, I just didn't see it. I saw it. I said, look, let's, let's go for it. But anyway. You also had a spell at Notts County, which is a, probably a separate programme in and of itself. A totally different programme. A spell at Newcastle. But the one I want to talk about is the spell at Portsmouth, mm. where Harry Redknapp starts to assemble with, with the Guidermack family the great and the good of English football in one yeah. place and it's like a mad experiment it's like playing football manager on the computer <laughs> isn't it we'll get him we'll get him we'll get him mm. they get them together yourselves Carnu, a whole lot of other people yeah. um, Pedro Mendes mm. a, a, a real sort of dirty dozen a mixture of players mm. um, and somehow well it's like Mockley Crew. it was yeah Mockley <laughs> Crew, wasn't it and, and you win the FA Cup yeah but well, I mean that was late in your career yeah. it must have been a, a real lovely moment for you it's you know you, you, you go through your career and you early doors you think right you know got to get everything in before 30 and uh, after that you know everything's a bonus and then you've got a gap there and then all of a sudden you, know, you, you find yourself at, uh, at, at at Portsmouth in the first season we you know we nearly got we nearly qualified for Europe other than uh, a win against Arsenal in the last game if we'd have won we'd have been you know we'd have qualified for, for Europa League which would have been amazing following season we still got you know Harry's doing his stuff and, and getting new players in and which is which is great. He was very good at that, at getting players in. He was very good at uh, bringing out the best out of someone. You know, like for me, I needed something different, and he got it out of me. And um, you're very different. You are the way you are. He's very outgoing. Yeah, yeah. The rest of mm. you. Did it go well, the two of you? Yeah, yeah. Because you know, he's he's you know, he, he, where's he from? He's from Stepney Green, I think. Yeah. And, um, so there's a bit of that going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, he knew, understand, and uh, you know, Andre, he's a very uh, approachable guy. Um, he, he loves football. He knows football inside out. Um, and he, you know, he's a, he, he can fly off the handle. Then his arm around the shoulder. It, you know, he's a, it's. It's a, it's a great balance for him. And the main thing is he can get the best out of you. And at that time, I kind of needed that, really. Um, and that's how, he, that's how he got the best out of all these players, really. He had a fantastic knack of doing it. You know, he was incredible at it. It was great. The other thing that comes up about that Portsmouth team in your book, about which we'll speak more in a little mm. while, and we also get Simon Astaire, the author, in here, um, is that there was a kind of uh, religious element mm. in the uh, large proportion of the team were Christians. Mm. Um, under I think Linvoy Primus was probably the, the mm. prime mover there, no pun intended. Mm. You yourself got involved in, in his prayer group, yeah, on a professional level. I well, uh, it wasn't it wasn't all the players. It was no. uh, you know it's about four, five, or six of us were were, were in there, and uh, even some of the staff and kit man, security guys, you know. Um, stewards a couple of stewards in there and it was a tiny room it was a laundry room and uh, it was kind of a regular thing uh, before the games and um, you know I said you know what I'm, 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 I'm religious I'm not kind of going to church every every week but I said you know what yeah you believe in God yeah yeah, yeah I believe in God yeah. so I I enjoyed that side you know uh, Linvoy is a born again Christian um so it was great, you know. There was a a, a a priest in there, one of his friends, and we had a great time. Great time to kind of everybody on the same level, mental level, religious level, 
um, before the game. It's almost, I kind of loved it. And it's almost, you, you, before the madness, you kind of all get together on the same Did level. Harry approve of this? Harry was, he, Harry said, look, as long as you get in for quarter two, Quarter to, <laughs> quarter to two, that's fine by me. You know, um, do ever what you got to do, whatever you got to do to get yourself ready. And he was, you know, he was, he, he was fine by it. He was, he was totally fine by it. Um, I think with with uh, that that time of my life, I, I you know, I I needed that. That was great. That was great. A lot of clubs around Europe, um, a lot of countries like, say, you know, Italy, Spain, Portugal, they're, they're, they're very close to religion and, and sports. American and football, football is almost football. dominated by Christianity, yeah, yeah. Yeah, American football and South America, t- you know, in, in sports, Asia, you know, Africa, very close. You know, you, you get to Barcelona, you walk down the steps, there's a crib there, you can pray, walk out, bang, you're on the pitch. And I think sometimes with, 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 with England, it's kind of almost... It's almost stre- it's almost come away from the religious side. Um, maybe um, that's how it's going. But uh, I think in the rest of Europe, it's quite close, religion and sport. Well, whatever, whatever, however you all did it, um, the Motley crew, the Dirty Dozen, <laughs> um, with their praying and all the other things, and no doubt the other players as well, mm. they do get to Wembley, the cup final against Cardiff. Yeah. Um, of course, it, it's, it's so recent. It's only a few years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are your memories of going out to pick up the FA Cup this time at Wembley? New Wembley, of course. Wow. This back at back end of my career, I'm lifting the FA Cup as a captain. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, one, of the, one of the famous cup, you know, cup com- competition for the, you know for, for clubs in the world. It's just the history behind it is is immense, and um, I was proud to be the captain. You know, we played. It was a funny kind of uh, campaign, uh, and then we played. You know, West Brom and and um, Cardiff in the final. Uh, West, obviously, both both games at. at uh, at, uh, Don't do Wembley. yourself down. You did win at Old Trafford on the way. Yeah, yeah, and that, actually, that game I cried. I, you know, I, I was just full of emotion because the um, the uh, Man United uh, 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 side said, "Well, uh, do you need tickets for the next game? For if it was a replay?" No. <laughs> <laughs> what? No, it's not going to happen. You know, <laughs> one game is done. You know? Yeah. Why do we need to take our allocation for? No. And uh, we just played an amazing game, everybody. Mm-hmm. Yes, we rode our luck, but that's an FA Cup. But that's football as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah we rode our luck and a couple of fantastic tackles here and there. Is and it, after the game, I was just emotion. The emotion just hit me. You know, I was welling up because if for Portsmouth to go there in the FA Cup and win one nil, it was just incredible absolutely incredible you know you had no hope no chance of winning no way that's the, that that chance of winning has gone out of town it's 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 nowhere there there's nothing there you're going to come there get hammered you know three four nil job done man knighted on you go and that's the beauty of the FA Cup and that's the beauty of football as well let me ask you then in the last question in this section you say that's the beauty of football you've had an amazing career some downsides but lots of success as well you're out of the game for a couple of for a couple of years now mm. do you miss football because you have a lot of unlike you know you're, you're, a, you're you have a lot of other things going on mm. you're interested in design and mm. history and all mm. do you miss the football I miss the game I miss um, the competing, the competitive side of, of the game and, and training to play against the best. I do miss that. I'm not going to deny. I miss that kind of right. It's my team versus your team. I, I, I miss that big time. I, I miss the kind of, you know, the, the stadiums and things like that and um, 
you know, and I miss really good quality training as well. You know, I don't miss on the road. Um, I don't miss uh, the, the hotels we stay at. I, I don't miss the not the best food at the ho- at the hotels. Um, I don't miss all that. Uh, I don't miss being you know sometimes when you're injured and you're kind of you know trying to get back to fitness. I don't miss all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's just a game. That's all I miss. The game competing, uh, my team versus your team. I miss that. Let's not pretend we just met in the street and I've invited him in. He said he's got a new book out. It's called Sol Campbell, The Authorised Authorized Biography. And normally, of course, I wouldn't mention such a thing, but it is such a remarkable book, so different from other uh, football biographies that I thought we should talk about the book itself, why he's done it, etc. And also how it got done, because it's not written by one of my colleagues from the written press, um, who sometimes get called football hacks. Um, it's written by the novelist Simon Astaire, um, and I'm delighted to see Simon's in the studio with us now. I will just recommend you again, the, the, but it's not your standard book. It, tend, it tries to make you understand the background and the man of Sol Campbell and what he was going through when he did what he did, whether you approved it or didn't approve it, whether you were cheering him or booing him. Um, Simon, uh, it came about by chance, didn't it? You met, you met Sol, I think, in a restaurant, it says so in the book, um, and befriended each other. Yeah, we go to, the, to our local Italian and uh, Sol and I tend to go there quite often and he was sitting there and I saw him and um, the owner of the restaurant who was talking to Sol at the moment went uh, Simon you haven't met Sol before and I went over and introduced myself and we struck up um, an acquaintance and which has turned into a friendship and I am his biographer. And because the universe operates in the strangest angles, you're a Spurs fan. I am a Spurs fan. I have been since I was five years old and my grandfather was and so was my father. How did you get past the obvious problem? Well, it's funny you say that because um, you, <laughs> you, you go through the emotions. You know, Sol Campbell to me at the time was my favourite player. Um, I don't want to say my hero because that gives the wrong reference to where I started the biography, mm-hmm. but he was absolutely my favourite player. And when he left, um, and it's something I've discussed with Sol, uh, it hurt me. And it hurts you in a bizarre way because I don't know him. I used to watch him. I had incredible respect as a footballer. And not did he just leave me, but he left me to my best friend's wife. Mm -hmm. I felt that. So anyway, that was the start, but I got over that very quickly. I hope, you know, let's be clear, I held no malice. I think the reason why he brings up such passion uh, at White Hart Lane, and he really does. And now I'm his biographer, I'm even closer to it than I've ever been. You have to go in disguise, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, um, is because we cared for him. And I think if there's one thing that Sol didn't realize at the time, I really believe this, he did not understand that. He did not understand, I'm not saying it would change his no, decision, sure, sure, sure. but I think he lost contact with the average Spurs supporter of how they felt for him. And I believe that that, that comes from the root of the club. Because I, if I had owned the club at the time, I would have done everything, and I mean this, I would have done everything to keep him, everything. 
because not only did and I think Lord Treesman says this in the book actually as a Spurs fan he says not only did we lose Sol Campbell but we lost four or five players with him because what he did was being the extraordinary footballer he was is he used to bring up ordinary players to be better players and even Gary Mabbott said when he heard 10 minutes before our semi-final against Everton which we were expected to win we had Klinsman we were rolling or whatever that Sol Campbell wasn't playing he knew that we were in trouble. And when we finished the game, he said, the first thing he said to someone, if Sol had played today, we would have got to the cup final. And that's, I'm just stemming you where Absolutely. the emotion comes Absolutely. from. Absolutely. Sol, you took a, a reasonable time to uh, let your career settle. Um, and you now think the time is right to put the record straight. It is typical of you, I think, from what I'm learning, um, that this is no ordinary football biography. You just didn't want it. And then we went up to Manchester City and we got, <laughs> and I got a couple and we celebrated with the lads. Why did you ask Simon to help you with the book? What did you want the book to achieve? Well, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm not the kind of uh, ordinary player or human being. Um, in the sense that when, when you look at football... I wanted something to to kind of be happy with, to sit easy with me, and you know, with with Simon as a novelist, it was a perfect match because I I wanted something totally different, totally totally different, something which will represent me in not only now but in the future, because um, once you you know you, the book's out there, it's out there, you know, and you you got to be proud of it, and and Simon has done a wonderful job. You know. Are you are you happy with the book? I'm happy with the book. Um, I mean, apart from the fact that it's the number one bestseller as we sit here sp- speaking today. I, I'm happy with the book, but also the, the the whole process. You know, for me to be involved. So obviously, Simon is is very cinematic and linear with how it how it is written, and and you know, that's great. And then me coming in and putting a little bit more grit in it. So it's a nice balance, um, which works perfect. And and. Uh, it's all about the ingredients. You've got to get the right ingredients. And, it's also and... one thing that you're learning. It's all, it doesn't, he's a very shy man. And the problem with shyness is it's misinterpreted. They think they're offish or aloof, they want to talk, yeah. aloof and all yeah. that sort of thing. He is a shy man. And he, when we started talking to each other and I interviewed him in all our conversation, he, he spoke like he always did cautiously initially. And he spoke with a certain amount of trepidation, but we learned to trust each other. We learned to, dare I say this, but love each other in a way that we could be honest with each other. Mm -hmm. And I grew in writing the book with tremendous respect for Sol as a man. And I wrote the book as someone, as a man rather than a footballer, a man who happens to be a footballer rather than a footballer who happens to be a man. And I, I did, and I, that's where it stems from. It is a story about a man, and what's given me, and it's only been out for a few days, but what's given me more pleasure than anything is the ones who've already read it have said, I didn't know who Sol Campbell was, but I want to know this man because it's an incredible story. And I, I, listen, I know these sort of conversations, it sounds as if you're plugging the book, which, of course, we are, but... He is an extraordinary character. It is not run, written, and I hope you would qualify this, mm-hmm. in any sort of sycophantic sense whatsoever. No, it's, no, uh, it's written about a man, and he has got over challenges. 
I happen to come from a relatively privileged background. He has come over challenges, which to me, and I'm now middle age, is an extraordinary feat to reach the heights. No, that no, he did. I, I, I will tell you uh, about the book, since that's what we're discussing here. General readers will find it a fascinating portrait of a very successful footballer at a time where football was changing fast and where the clubs he played for were in different stages of development, including the, the more massive stuff about Arsenal. For those like myself who've lived through the Spurs, Arsenal trauma and all the rest of it, it's forced me to confront what I had previously thought about the whole, the whole issue. And I, I, I can't say it's necessarily changed everything I think, but it has forced me to at least think about it again. What about you, Sol? Well, I mean, uh, let's be honest. The book starts and ends with Spurs fans abusing you. Um, some of it was... De- is, it, is it an attempt to try and get that? Of all the brilliant things you've achieved in your career, and you were, and you're admitting it, the best defender in the world at one stage, mm. um, at the age you are now, is it an attempt to try and deal with that crisis point, that crux in your life? It's, it's for me, it's... it's uh... It's something to be out there. I wanted it to be out there. I wanted to be, I wanted this book to be read by many people as possible. And you know, it's not an attempt to say, oh, self-promotion. It's it's all about my story, and I wanted this story to be told. So it doesn't matter if you're not into if you're not into sport, or you, you know, you don't have to be a sportsman or woman to actually read this and then enjoy this. And this book. You know, people can take different parts of this book and say, well, you know what, I'm actually going through that and uh, or I'm not going through that or whatever. But you can take different paragraphs, different parts of the book and say you can, people can relate to it. So you don't need to be in, into sport to actually read this and enjoy this. It has meaning way beyond sport. You're, you're absolutely right. Simon, I must ask you, um, I'm sure, I, I, forgive me, I haven't read your novels, um, but given the reality contained within these covers, how can you go back to writing fiction after this? Well, it's a good question. I don't think I'm going to in the next year or so. I've um, had a couple of uh, offers to write Biographies. Where's my know. cut? <laughs> yeah, well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> what? What did you say? Yeah. Where's my cut? Sky yeah. Andrew, we take oh, it. Don't oh, worry yeah. about that. Go on, I'm going to have everyone knocking on the door. <laughs> Shouldn't have said that. Um, but no, I like. Uh, if I. So you've got something out of the process as well. The process of writing this book. Of oh, writing a biography rather than. The... Yes, I was. It was the first thing that I've ever been challenged with in my life that I felt nervous about. I hadn't written a biography before. Yes, I've I've dealt with high-profile people throughout my life because I had a different career before I became a novelist. But I I was I was I didn't know how I was going to structure it. And then I read a few of the other football books, and I thought I can't write it like this. I can't. Write, I'm not interested. At They're sort. too dull. Yeah. But they seem formulaic in the way that there's he's like if with Sol he he had a goal disallowed in against Argentina and blah 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 and then uh, those sort of all the highlights he got transferred. I I like to deal with human emotions. I like layers of all our characteristics, and I that's I like to think my skill, and I wanted to transfer it into writing this biography, and I'm really humbled by the reaction. Well, you deserve all, all the applause. It's both of you, actually, because it's clearly yeah. a collaborative effort. Absolutely. The book is called, and I make no uh, apology for plugging it again, because I think it's one of the more important books about football and about human beings that you'll read um, around at the moment. It's called Sol Campbell, the authorised biography. Simon Astaire's name is attached to it as well. And the people at Spellbinding Media have put it out. It's available, of course, in bookshops and through all the usual uh, download uh, facilities that you have. And thank you very much, Simon, for coming in and helping us to understand why uh, the book was made and what it 
it reflects back into Sol Campbell's career. Let's let's take you right up to date. Um, you're a family man these days, and you yeah. seem to have. There's a lot of uh, stress and strain in your book, and a lot of background mm. pain and agony mm. and things. You seem to have found a, a more peaceful place for yourself. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I listen. You know, in the book. Uh, it, uh, you know my life yes there's been there's been struggle uh, um, and there's been joy yeah. I think that's you know the, in, in, some people have more than others um, but now I'm in, I'm in a place that I'm happy with I'm happy where I am I'm, I'm comfortable with my position I'm you know I'm married now nearly three years been together with Fiona well Fiona Barrett Campbell now her name is um, you know, almost nine nearly ten years now so uh, I've uh, I've enjoyed myself. I've enjoyed myself. I've got two, you know, together we've got two beautiful kids and, uh, you know, I love the business what she's in. She's, she's into a design business and uh, I love all that kind of stuff. We've got a good furniture company uh, growing and, uh, you know, she's a beautiful designer and she's getting bigger and bigger and I, I actually like building things. I actually like to build things. Like and, what? Well, I like to kind of build, you know, she, she's getting bigger. I like to be behind the scenes and, and, right. and build her up to, you know, to, to uh, you know, ultimately we want to become a, you know, a fashion, like a design-led, mm-hmm. high-end design, almost like a fashion house. We want to eventually get to that level if we could. Um, you've got to always, I always like to go go one step further and, and, and go all the way. Um, and we, we try to build to that step by step and take it, take it, take it by time, take it step by step. And, you know, I'm doing my football, I'm doing my coaching badges and things like that. So, Do you think uh, you'd ever get back in the game, Sol? I don't know. I want to. I want to qualify, um, and then I want to be able to say, "Well, I've got some more strings to my bow, where I can go left or right." You know, I want to be able to do that, um, and we see how things pan out. I almost want to see which one will overtake and, and surpass the rest, almost like a you know, a little challenge within myself in a in a nicest possible way. You've been listening to an archive edition of Talk Sports: My Sporting Life with Danny Kelly. Thanks for listening. And make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Acast and Spotify for more top talk sport content. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.